So uh, we're excited tonight. I know you've been sitting for some time and listening, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would refresh your mind and your capacity as, um, as, we, as we dig into and start a new series. We are starting a new series in the letter or the book of 1 John. And the tagline is, this is how you know. It's going to be a five-week journey. Um, and then we're starting another really cool series, which we'll tell you about when we get there. But, but tonight we're going to kick this one off. And the book of 1 John has really been special and um, being impressed on my heart and on some of the other guys on the team's hearts over the past couple of weeks. And um, we've really just felt God lead us to this for specific reason and purpose. Um, And essentially it's because the book or the letter of 1 John deals with some of the really pertinent issues that we're struggling with as a church today and some of the cultural issues we find creeping into the church. And I really believe that through this series, God is going to reshape for us a love not only for His Word, which we've just spoken about um, two weeks ago, but for truth and a desire for us to be able to stand on truth and not only stand on it, but speak out truth for the glory of His name. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, and it's a privilege to be able to just kick this off this evening. Um, just, a, just a quick brief overview of the book of uh, 1 John. Um, the book of 1 John is written by the Apostle John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the same John who wrote the book of Revelation and probably written about the same time, about 85 to 90 AD, so a good couple of years after the birth of Jesus. And so John was a bit older when he was writing this, but still a man incredibly anointed and passionate for Jesus and passionate for truth. In fact, he was um, one of the closest people to Jesus. He's referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. He He was the one who was resting on Jesus' shoulder or on Jesus' chest. And they were just that close. The guy really got to hear the actual physical heartbeat of Jesus in his ear. Right? That's, who, that's who this guy is. And um, he writes the letter for two main reasons. The first is because Satan has always made sure that spiritual false teachers thrive in their trade. He's made sure that that's happened over the years. Spiritually, spiritual false teachers or, or heretics Wolves in sheep's clothing, as God's word defines them, have been part of the church since the church began and are also part of the church or part of this world today. They're as much of a problem today as they were back then. And so one of the main reasons John writes this book is to set out to attack and to refute the false teaching that was being peddled by these guys and to set the record straight, so to speak, about what they were teaching on vitally important issues, particularly when it came to the person and work of Jesus. He wrote to put an end to the false teachings that were beginning to take a toll on the church. That's one of the main reasons why he writes this letter. The second reason is tied to that. Because of these false teachings, because of what has been propagated, because of what was being heard by these false teachers, people in the church were beginning to get unsettled and confused. Those who weren't saved were being deceived into thinking that they were saved because they were believing a lie. Those who were saved were starting to question and doubt their salvation because of the truth that seemed to, the truth that these heretics were preaching that seemed to contradict what they had heard from the apostles. And so John's second purpose is, is almost pastoral as, as he writes this because he places huge emphasis on highlighting the difference between genuine and fake Christianity. He places huge emphasis on how to discern between the genuine Christian and the false. And against the backdrop of these influential teachers and their heresy that they were pushing, 
this becomes a huge comfort to the church and a huge help because he aids his, his readers to know and, and he helps them into a space where they understand that their faith is genuine or perhaps that it was not and that they need to do something about it. You see, John's concern, and I believe God's concern for us as his church and as his people and those who call themselves Christians is, so, is to know that what we believe is true objectively and practically. John's concern was that his readers evaluate honestly what their faith is and where they stand with Jesus and whether what they stand on is true or not. John essentially wanted to be able to help his readers in that time, and I believe it's true for us now in this time. He wanted to be able to help them answer the question, am I a true believer? So the book of John essentially is a this is how you know, which is our tagline. It's an essentially this is how you know answer to the question, how do I know I'm a genuine believer? That's what the book of 1 John really is all about. And he goes and he unpacks that. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be digging into that. And tonight, we're going to unpack some of that, some of that stuff. I don't know about you. And maybe if you're in high school, you don't, you don't get emails that, that regularly. WhatsApp's like your primary form of communication. But I get emails at least um, a couple of times a week in my, in my junk box of someone promising me the world and asking for my banking details. And, and saying that I've won 20 billion US dollars or something like that, or I've got an uncle who's twice removed, seven times over, who's died, and now there's this you know, inheritance that I've got. All I need to do is just send my banking details, my ID number, my bank, all this sort of stuff to them. I just hit the delete, right? One guy was even honest enough to say, look, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I've stolen this money, but I need a partner in South Africa to help me transfer the money. He was like, I've got hold of this. I've got through this loophole and that loophole. Why don't you? I mean, he's trying like a bit of honesty. Honesty is the best policy for sure, right? I just, I just delete it. And more than anything else, it's a frustration to me. And the reason why it's a frustration to me, and I don't get angry, is because you can spot the fake. You can spot it. It's easy. There have been people who've been taken for a ride, but you can spot it, and so you just hit delete, right? However, far more serious than just losing some money to some people who are trying to rob you of it is losing your soul because you've believed a false reality or you believe a false faith or you put your hope in something that isn't true. There were those people in Jesus' day, in the early church's day, and there are those people today. All you have to do is do a Google search for Christian heresy and there's just an infinite amount of videos that come up. You don't even have to type heresy. You just have to put Christian teaching. And if you filter through it and know your Bible, you'll pick up on heresy over and over and over again. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, and he, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, um, 11, 13 to 15. He says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness their end will be what their actions deserve it may be easy to spot a fake email right i hope we can all do that but it is not that easy to spot a heretic or a false teacher or a wolf in sheep's clothing because they're in disguise that's why over and over and over again god's word teaches us what is truth so that we can spot with accuracy what is not truth 
And often truth, often truth is guarded by a bunch of lies, Rabbi Zacharias says. And the lie is sold to us as 95% truth or 99% truth and 1% lie. But that is enough to ruin someone's eternity. It was interesting for me. I learned how um, banks teach people who work with the actual cash how to distinguish between a fake note and a real one. And I know they've got those machines where they put that under the light and you, it's a UV thing that, that glows. But they're trained over and over and over and over and over again to know what the original looks like. Over and over and over again to know what the original looks like. They don't get taught what all the fakes look like because all you have to do is know what the original looks like. And then there can be 100,000 fakes and you'll be able to spot it. And that's what God's word is doing with us over and over again, asserting for us what is truth so that when what is not truth comes, we can pick it up. In his final words to the Ephesian church in Acts, or to the Ephesian elders in Acts, Paul says this, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from within your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Because of these repeated warnings over and over again in, in Scripture and other ones, I believe it is important for us to be careful what we expose ourselves to, what we listen to, and what we hear. And that's why the book of 1 John, and that's why this series is so ex- exciting for me and so important, because it's one of those books that helps you to easily distinguish between what's right and what's wrong when it comes to the fundamental beliefs of our faith. So, um, so we're going to read together. We're just going to be going from verse 1 to verse 10, and we're going to be particularly unpacking verses 5 to 10 this evening. Here's what the beginning of the book of 1 John says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out in the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. What I find really fascinating about John is he starts off by asserting for us that he knows what he's talking about. He's not boasting. He just starts off. He just goes, listen, guys, I want you to know that I know what I'm talking about. I have been around Jesus. I have seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. He's also asserting the deity and the humanity of Christ, but we'll get into that um, in a couple of weeks' time. But essentially what he's saying is, what I'm about to say is not from me. I'm not, I'm not writing this because I think it's truth. It is truth because I've heard it from the one who is truth. I've touched him, I've seen him, I've heard him. And what we've heard, what we proclaim to you came from the mouth of Jesus himself. 
So he asserts it. He goes, this isn't fake. This isn't false. What I'm about to tell you is real. What I love about John as well as he starts writing is he doesn't beat around the bush. He just, he just writes boldly. He doesn't paint with pale colors or whitewashed colors. He just gets straight to the point. He doesn't uh, you know, speak in subtle tones, worried that he's going to offend anybody. He just speaks the truth. He makes some powerful and exclusive statements. In verse 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And don't live out the truth. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I find reading God's word so refreshing, especially in a day and age where we're not allowed to offend people. Where we're told, just keep what you believe to be true to yourself. People don't want to hear your opinion or your perspective on stuff. Just be quiet. Don't impose. Don't intrude. In a day and an age where Christians, people who call themselves Christians are trying to redefine Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. It is good to be able to go back to the Word of God and just get unadulterated truth. And to just hear it written from people who are with Jesus, who are passionate about people following Him and on the right beliefs and their faith being grounded. Now, Christianity, I know, is not at its core. We all know is at its core not about keeping a bunch of rules or rituals. It's not about keeping a bunch of regulations. It is a relationship. It is a fellowship with the Most High God made possible by Jesus. But that fellowship and that partnership has to be genuine. It has to be real. And so what John begins to do in verses 5 to 10 for us and through the rest of the book of 1 John is highlight for us what some of those key fundamental principles are that are in place or should be part of or are part of a genuine relationship with Jesus. Tonight we're going to unpack three. There are probably more. We're going to unpack three that are in verses 5 to 10. And the first one is this. A, a, a genuine relationship with Jesus is having genuine fellowship with God and understanding His holiness. So the first point says this. To have genuine fellowship with God, we must understand God's holiness. Verse 5 says this, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Church marketers, people just want to grow church and fill church with numbers and please people and it will be about the flashy lights and starts with this because God is light. In scripture, light refers to God's um, God being the source of light, the source of knowledge, illumination, the source of genuine, authentic, true guidance. Light refers to God in his glory, um, his inapproachableness, if that's even a word, his, his omnipresence, the fact that he's infinite, the fact that he's all powerful. But in this context, 
as John says, God is light. What he's getting at is that God is holy and totally set apart. And that is seen and emphasized by the negative statement that he says. He says, in him, him there is no darkness. None at all. Jesus gives the same moral teaching in the book of John, chapter 319. This is what Jesus says. He says, this is the word of God. Light has come into the world. A holy God has come into the world. The people have loved darkness instead of the light, and their deeds were evil. So that's where John starts. But we've got to ask this question, why? If God is love and God is holiness, at the same time he's righteous and he's just, he's also loving, forgiving, and caring. Why does John start? Why does he start with the fact that God is holy? Why not start with the fact that God is love? three reasons. The first one is, if you don't start with the holiness of God, you'll never understand God's plan of salvation and why Jesus needed to come to the cross. If we don't start there, if we don't understand our brokenness in the light of God's holiness, the cross just seems some insignificant thing that happened in history that wasn't really necessary. If, as Rob Bell says, love always wins, no matter what, and we don't preach on the holiness and the righteousness and the wrath of God and the depth and the destruction of our sin and the seriousness of it, you'll never really understand what Jesus did on the cross and appreciate what he went through. And just how offended God is and angry God is at sin and what Jesus took upon his shoulders. You must also remember John is writing to refute some of the teaching that false teachers were spreading. And they were trying to undermine the cross. They were trying to undermine the person and the work of Jesus. And this gets him into a place where he goes, you just need to understand the holiness of God. Let's not take away from the significance of the cross and what Jesus did. Let's not try and downplay our sin. God's holiness is all-consuming. And so he starts there. Secondly, he starts with God's holiness because it exposes false claims of relationship with God. If God in his holiness says, this is what it looks like to be in relationship with me, and you claim to be in relationship with him, but you look like this, then it's fake. It's false. It it doesn't match up. So to understand what God says is good is important so that we can walk in it and not be confused. In our day, as in John's, many people claim to have fellowship with God. Many people. But often their claims are empty because their relationship is based on a fake God that they've made up in their minds. The generation that came just after me or a few years after me, after me, not before me, after me, is known as the Mosaic generation. I don't know if you've heard that before. But it's a Mosaic generation called Generation whatever, Generation X, the Millennials, whatever. They're called the Mosaic generation. And what they do is they take pieces of other people's worldview and they piece it together on, a, on like a piece of paper, let's just say, and they, and they form their own worldview. So I, I like this from there and I like this from there and I like this from there and so I'm going to put it together and this is how I'm going to form my worldview. The problem is they do that with everything. And so they do that with the relationship with the Lord as well. So last week or two weeks ago, I spoke to you about that girl who was interviewed and she was challenged on some scripture and about the fact that God's word con- condemns what she was doing and she was like, oh, I just turned the page. You know? And, and we, we live in this world where, where people are picking and choosing different character traits and personality traits of God and, and different scriptures and putting it down and forming their own Bible, in a sense, and forming their own religion with the God who's always 
always going to just overlook stuff and doesn't really care about my sin. And we end up with this God who's just a good buddy in the sky. My chummy, my, you know, hey, I need some help here. Won't you just sort this situation out? Lastly, he starts with holiness because it's the only true way to experience the joy that comes through relationship with God. If we have this false perspective and understanding of God, that he's just this user-friendly God, we're never really going to understand the depths of brokenness that he's redeemed us from. False Christianity tries to bring God down to man's level so that we can feel more comfortable with God, so we don't really have to deal with our sin, so we don't really have to expose our hearts to him. We can carry on doing what we want to do. That sort of fake religion, that sort of fake relationship with God, that sort of fake perspective of who God is, is never going to hold up on Judgment Day. It's never going to hold weight or water on Judgment Day. God is a holy, righteous, and just God. That's why John starts there. And so peace and joy come from being reconciled to a holy, almighty God. Peace comes from knowing, this was going to send me to hell. God's redeemed me. This holy, righteous God who is furious with sin, who's storing up his wrath and is going to pour it out on unbelievers at the end time. I'm saved from that by the grace of God. Wow, that's amazing. That's why John starts with the holiness of God. The second thing that we see in verses 5 to 10, which indicate to you whether you have a true relationship with God or not, is that we don't walk in darkness. That's the second point. To to have genuine fellowship with God, we must not walk in darkness. He says this in verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. What John does is he starts to create this hypothetical situation. He says, if we claim. He does it so that we can all be included, but he's also really targeting the false teachers because this is one of the first things that they taught that was false. They were saying, we have relationship with God. But in fact, they didn't because they were living out lives that didn't match up with God's word. Their claims that they walk in the light were actually false because what they believed, they didn't practice. They didn't practice truth. They didn't live out the truth. And John's saying, that's true for them. They're lying. But if you also say that you have relationship with God, if you walk in the darkness, if everything that God says says is bad, you do and you keep on doing it without regret or remorse or repentance. He says to walk, and this is an interesting, uh, interesting thing because we all mess up, but when he says to walk, it points to this, the, the general atmosphere of one's life. It's, it's this idea that we keep on, keep on, keep on messing up and sinning without any turning back. And we know because of verse 9 that to confess our sins and to, and to repent of them is part of walking in the light. And so to not do that, to keep on sinning is to walk in darkness. And if you are keeping on, keeping on, and there's no change and you claim to be a Christian, God's word says you're deceiving yourself. You're actually walking in the darkness. To walk in the darkness is to block out the light of God's holiness as revealed by his word. And it's to live as the world would have you live. It's to shut 
and to close up your heart and to make up your own ideas to what's right and to what's wrong. It's to justify your behavior by either denying that it's sinful, redefining sin, blaming other people or other factors. It's to do away sometimes with the entire concept of sin. I've heard people try to redefine what sin is. I've heard somebody say, sin is not believing in yourself because God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy with yourself and to believe in yourself and to be positive. And if you're not, you're sinning. Redefining sin. To walk in darkness is to try and hide from God rather than to expose your heart and your life to Him. David says, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. That's someone who's walking in the light. The person who walks in the darkness tries to hide from God. That's apparently what these false teachers were doing as well. Verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the false teachers were saying, hey, we're walking in the light. And John says, no, you're not. They go, hey, we don't have any sin. John goes, yes, you do. They may have been trying to teach the church that it was possible to be sinless. They may have been saying that, you know, they've achieved this state of perfection. But John says, you're only deceiving yourself if you say that you are without sin. On top of that, their third claim was, we have not sinned. So not only are they saying they're sinless now, but they're saying we never sinned. And this is the most blatant of their heresies and their lies, because John says, if you say this, you're making, out, you're making God out to be a liar. This claim that they haven't sinned was, was then perpetuated by the fact that they said they've never sinned. They, I'm not sinning, and I've never sinned. Not only are we sinless, but we weren't sinful in the past. Almost there's this idea that they were giving off that the human heart is ultimately good, which then undermines the cross, which then undermines the need for Jesus to die, which then calls God a liar because God in his word says we're rotten to the core essentially and our default position is to walk in darkness, but by his grace we are saved because God has chosen to redeem us we're able to be redeemed. If it wasn't for him, there'd be nothing we could do to save ourselves. If as a way of life, you're not allowing God to confront your sin, your sinful thoughts, your attitudes, your motives, your words, if as a way of life, you are refusing to allow God to speak into those areas that you want no one to speak into, those character issues, if as a way of life, you are holding on to sin and embracing it, how do you view yourself? Because God's word says you're not. If I dodge my sin by blaming others and making excuses, I'm, I'm not sure we've got the idea of what it means to be walking in the light and to be a child of God. When John speaks about walking in the darkness, as people walk in the darkness, he's not describing a carnal Christian or a Christian who's being disobedient. When he speaks about those who walk in the darkness, he's speaking about those who are not saved. He says those who are not saved don't embrace the fact that they're sinners, that they were and are and need the grace of Jesus. To have fellowship with God, we must realize that he's absolutely holy, that we are sinners and we need his salvation. 
which leads me to the third and final point. To have genuine fellowship with God, we must walk in the light as He is in the light. We need to know that God is holy. We need to know that we are sinners in need of His salvation. And then we need to walk in the light as He is in the light. Walking in the light is not a description of a super elite, super spiritual class of Christian. To walk in the light is to be a Christian. To walk in the light is every believer's right and responsibility. There is no genuine Christian who does not walk in the light. To walk in the light is to be a believer. To walk in the darkness is to not know Jesus. There are two aspects to walking in the light. And the first one is that we live openly before God, seeking to be holy as He is holy and hating sin. In the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, 21, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what we have done what he has done or what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is in contrast to the evil person who does not come out into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So it says in John 3.20. And this, of course, doesn't mean that as Christians we don't sin. But all of us sin, that's, that's John's point here. But it's how we live our lives. It's the atmosphere of our lives that's important. Those who say sin doesn't matter, there's no such thing as sin. They're walking in the darkness. That's what those false teachers were teaching. Those who go, man, I'm so broken by my sin. I'm so grateful for what Jesus did. Every day is a day of repentance for me. Every day is a day where I humble myself before the Lord. I live in the joy of the kingdom and what Jesus has done. I live out of my identity as a child of God. But I'm only able to experience that really when I'm constantly humbled before him by repenting of my sin. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused because God's word speaks about us being forgiven when we came to know him and sins past, present and future were done and we were saved but now we have to keep on repenting how, how does it work itself out well, when you came to know Jesus you believed for the first time but a Christian doesn't stop believing after they believe for the first time today I'm saved because today I believe I've been saved 13, 14 years ago. But that was the first time I believed and every other day since then I've continued to believe. That doesn't mean every day I believe I get re-saved. It just means I step into the blessing of that salvation. I experience the joy of my salvation. The same with repentance. When I repented for the first time, there was this moment where God forgave me because of Jesus for all my sin, past, present and future. But I keep on repenting so that I can experience the blessing and the joy and the cleansing that comes from that. I think sometimes Christians hold on to their sin, although they've been forgiven for it, and they don't confess it before the Lord, and so they carry with them a burden and a guilt and a shame that they haven't been set free from yet. And that's essentially what John is getting at here. He's saying, listen, a Christian who walks in the light, a person who walks in the light is someone who constantly repents, who's constantly desiring to be made Christ-like, not someone who denies their sin and holds on to it and pretends like it's not there that's why he says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness it's all too easy to put on this fake false Christian veneer by claiming that you have a relationship with God when actually you're walking in the darkness Anyone who denies or downplays God's holiness, anyone who teaches that what God calls sin is not really sin, 
anyone who tries to redefine what God says is sin, or who denies that they need Jesus, or claims that they've stepped into the light apart from Jesus, and Jesus alone is a liar and a wolf. And we need to be careful of that. The Lord doesn't want us to be playing spiritual Russian roulette. He's given us his word. He's given us his truth. He wants us to be confident in our relationship with him. To know, not to strive in our own strength, but to know that he's done it. But that relationship with him looks a certain way. He wants us to experience genuine fellowship with him by walking in the light as he is in the light. He wants us to know how to do that. He wants us to know that we are his. And the book of 1 John is about that. It's about helping us to understand this is how you know. That's what we've done for tonight. But I pray that we are people who celebrate God's holiness, who enjoy the righteousness of God. We must be people who hate darkness, who hate wickedness, who hate sin, and don't flirt with it, but repent from it, who walk in the light and constantly humble ourselves before God. When you honor God, God honors you. And you walk like Jotham did. It says in um, 2 Chronicles 27, it says, Jotham grew powerfully as he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. And I pray that that will be true for us as well. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, God, that you are righteous, that you are holy, that you are a God that we can enter into relationship with because of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And I pray, Lord, that as we journey through the book of 1 John, that our eyes would be opened to the truth for the first time maybe for some of us. That our hearts would be rekindled from embers into a raging fire for the glory and the truth of God. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who don't put up with false teaching or heresy in any way, but are zealous for the truth of God. Who are zealous for the word of God. Who are zealous to stand on the word and to live out our lives according to what you say is right and good and wholesome. Lord, I pray bring conviction. May we be people who repent before you where we need to be. May we be humbled before you. Lord, your word says a broken and contrite heart you do not despise. Where there needs to be, Lord, repentance, let, let, let it come. Holy Spirit, bring that conviction. Bring that healing, Lord. Take away condemnation and bring conviction. And Lord, help us to understand this journey that you've got us on of becoming more Christ-like. May we be a people who love and preach and speak the truth. Not being able to be muzzled or hindered or held back in any way. Release that over us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.